mean, Jerry Seinfeld really opened our eyes to what other stupid things we can film. Did you see that trailer <laughs> with that comedians he put out? doing? I love. Yeah, the one where he's like, like, "There's a lot of rip-offs or so spin-offs," and yeah. I mean, that's just true, and it's not gonna stop them. They're just gonna keep making them, and I think that's a smart business move in the long run. Because who wouldn't buy? Copying I mean, him? yeah, the audiences don't care that James Corden's show is similar to Jerry Seinfeld's. They they just care about who they get on the show. That's why Jerry Seinfeld's show is so good. It's like, or so, you know, brings in so many people to watch it because they're like, I heard one of my favorite comedians is on that show. I heard Jim Carrey's on it. I heard I've always the whole cast of SNL is on it. I've always felt Jerry Seinfeld was underrated across the board. Yeah. As a stand-up comedian, he's certainly respected, but I feel like because his material doesn't dive deep, people don't look at him in the same vein because he's not saying as much and that sim it's almost like 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 the humor's simple in terms of the, the content. So the actual setup punchlines and material isn't <clears throat> isn't looked at the same mm-hmm. and in the same respect he's now had two different shows that sort of broke the model because clearly Seinfeld broke the model of sitcoms they had to change it all because of his syndication deal syndication doesn't exist anymore because of Seinfeld yeah. and Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee was a web series that broke the mold of what a web series could be because they were told it had to be a certain time or a certain way or you couldn't just release it on a a website and have people like it and all this other shit and like I feel like sometimes he's just sort of overlooked because he's so ubiquitous and in the 90s and early 2000s it's like you couldn't turn a TV on without seeing an episode of Law and Order or Seinfeld playing all the time. Do you see him on the uh, he was a commentator on sports show and they asked what comedians they should be looking out for that he would suggest to them he said Mark Norman isn't that great? Oh, awesome. Awesome. I, saw, I was like, oh, that's cool. And, it, and they, the run of the references he made was that he is a stand-up comedian who can, like, talk about kind of the history of comedy, like Buddy Hackett and Ronnie Dangerfield and all that. Who Seinfeld said that about himself? No, about Mark Norman. I think. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And comedians he likes are, are comedians that are aware of kind of the roots of stand-up. Gotcha. I like that. That was a, that was a fun surprise. To hear him, hear him name someone we're all familiar with. And yeah. So this is Eddie. Oh, and I'm Ryan. Welcome to Historical Roast, the study guide for Jimi Hendrix. We're roasting Jimi Hendrix on Tuesday, July 23rd at 10.30 p.m. in the belly room at the Comedy Store. Um, this is one I'm excited for. How do you feel about roasting Jimi Hendrix? He's a hard worker. He literally cut his teeth playing the guitar. <laughs> That was such an easy one. I didn't. Expect I just it thought of it while you were introducing us. I was like, I should write that down. Anyways, I didn't. I didn't catch that. Like, I didn't even see that one coming. That's uh. That's so in in the history of our show and getting to roast Jimi Hendrix, what? I'm at the point with our show where I start to wonder: Is this something we saw happening when we started it, or are we starting to get to some of these names that we didn't expect? I think Jimi Hendrix for me was always on the list. When you talk about great musical artists and musical acts, we've had Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. we've had the Beatles, we've had Elvis. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, to me, goes right in that vein of, if you were going to say top five musical artists in history, I think he kind of makes the top five for what we would be doing. Yeah, and he uh, he's in a different category than we could have. Like There were certain parts where we could have brought him on, but it would have been a little bit too much of a stretch. Like... Michael Jackson's most recent roast we did at the Mm -hmm. Comedy Store. We had a lot of rock musicians and artists there, like Freddie Mercury, James Brown, Whitney Houston. We could have had Jimi Hendrix there, but I I almost like that we saved him for his own roast. And he deserves it. Yeah, and he's in a kind of different category than a lot of those people I just named because he was not only a performer, but he was like... He p- could play guitar per- like really well, and I, I, I don't. None of the people I listed just now, I don't think, really played an instrument necessarily. Prince, and were, Prince and was, was a great guitarist. Prince was a great guitarist. All oh, right, Freddie Prince Mer- was there too. I yeah. certainly think Jimi Hendrix wouldn't have fit into the Michael Jackson roast in the same way that the other people that we had did. A lot of them had connections, personal connections mm-hmm. with Michael Jackson, not just an influence in some. And way. certainly, Jimi Hendrix could have been a guest on a lot of roasts, but I also think Jimi Hendrix certainly deserves his own roast. Jimi Hendrix is 
by Rolling Stone and most people considered the greatest guitar player of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, Rolling Stone named him, I believe, the top, like the number, the number six most fluent, influential artist of all time, like the sixth yeah. greatest artist of all time. Like I think when you talk about pure rock and roll, even though Jimmy comes from that, you know, R and B, the blues, he puts in that that jazz improvisation into it. But when you talk about rock and roll. He may he may very well be the greatest rock and roll star of all time, at least in terms of history. When we talk dead historical figures, yeah. maybe there's a few people that challenge him nowadays. Maybe I don't know. Is there current? Is there a current rock artist that I'm missing that's going to challenge him for the greatest rock artist of all time? Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, <laughs> definitely, especially with that new hit with Eminem and Fifty Cent. I have Cent. not heard it. That says rock and roll. He did a wait. He did a song with Eminem and Fifty Cent recently. Yeah, I think it's called "Remember the Name" or something. And it's basically the oh, three of I them being like. Saw that on Spotify. You might forget who we are, but you're gonna remember the name. It's kind of like I don't. And Dr. Dre wasn't in there. I don't think anyone. That's his whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, forgot about Dre. You forgot about Dre. Um, I think Jimmy is very well deserving of his own roast. This one's super exciting to me. We have an, an awesome panel of people roasting him, yeah. and this is the one where, like, this to me is rock and roll, right? We've got John Lennon from the Beatles. We've got mm -hmm. Janis Joplin, who certainly could have had her own roast. Uh, Kurt Cobain, who has had his own roast and very famously appeared roasting Freddie Mercury on our Netflix series. Yes. Amy Winehouse, which is a funny... I think is that kind of funny insertion. It's a little out of the box, but it's kind of a funny... We're going to bring her in as part of the 27 Club. Yeah, it's kind of, they're all immortalized at 27. Let's bring them in. Jerry Garcia is going to be there, which is really cool and really fun. Super exciting for me, especially because Matt McCarthy is playing Jerry Garcia. And Matt McCarthy's such a huge Jerry Garcia well, fan. Spoiler alert. Well, that was the one that was just like... <laughs> I didn't know he was a Jerry Garcia fan. That's oh, really Matt, cool. He's a big Grateful Dead guy. He's a big fish guy. He loves jam bands. Well, this, so is that gonna, was, this is going to be great because that's that was one of the best things about Seth Green and David Bowie. He was a fan of him. So when he mm -hmm. played him on our show, he really brought it home and he knew how to play him really well. That was so almost like on the nose that it was comical. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, love Matt. So We've got Jim good. Morrison on the dais as well, singer of The Doors. One of my favorite I don't stories. know too much about him. So here's a story about The Doors before we dive into Jimi Hendrix that I, I genuinely love. I heard this one. I, I want to make sure I cite this because Scout Derwood recently told me that uh, most, most podcasts are anecdotal information, which is problematic because you're not getting a real source. So I need to cite that I'm about to quote a wrestler, CM Punk. From a podcast, I want to know the conversation you had with Scout and how how she brought that up. Like, it's actually a part of uh, the new the new project she's working on. It was a, oh. it was a line in something. Oh. I don't know what she is or isn't saying about the what she's working on, but it's a line in the script. Gotcha. Uh, and it's a really it's really funny. It's Scout. I honestly. thought she just told like brought it up. Like Eddie, I've been meaning to tell you about the way you source your anecdotes. Oh no, but she <laughs> would say some shit like that. She <laughs> she would not have a problem telling somebody like, you know, podcasts are mostly anecdotal. There's no like you aren't getting the real facts. You're just listening to somebody tell you what they think they know about something. She would say that. That's awesome. Very right. So I heard this on The Art of Wrestling, which is Colt Cabana's podcast. CM Punk was on it. He's a wrestler who left WWE in very auspicious circumstances. He was very upset about it. And people were constantly asking him, and they still ask him if he'd ever go back. And he told Colt Cabana a story about the doors appearing on The Ed Sullivan Show that a wrestling promoter Paul Heyman told him. So I'm telling you that this story for me is one, two, three times removed, four times removed from the actual source. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and uh, contradict Scout and say you don't have to say all that. Just tell me the story <laughs> um, <laughs> from now on. So the doors appear on, on, on the Ed Sullivan show. And right before they make their appearance... I don't know if it's Ed Sullivan or one of his handlers comes in and says that there's a line in Baby Light My Fire that they have to pull because it's too racy for television. Mm. They leave and the doors are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jim Morrison's like, don't worry. I got this. When we're live, I'll fix it. Goes out there, performs the song without changing the lyric at all. He says the thing that he was told not to say. 
At the end of this, at the end of the the show, Ed Sullivan comes back to their dressing room and is cursing them out, motherfucker, this, fuck that, fuck you. And he goes, "You'll never play the Ed Sullivan show again." And Jim Morrison goes, "But we already did." And it's that idea, like Jim Morrison had this moment, was like, "You can't take away from us that we just did it anyway." Like, yeah. like we've already done it. Now I'm going to move on to the next thing, which was what CM Punk was referencing in the interview of like, "I'm not going back to the WWE. I already did it." And he used this beautiful analogy of the of Jim Morrison of the Doors being like, "But we did, we did play it. Like you can't take that away from me now." And now you're referencing him, who's yeah. referencing Jim Morrison. So when did? When did Jimi Hendrix first enter your life? When did you first become aware that there's this guitar player named Jimi Hendrix? Ironically, the same way Freddie Mercury did. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Wayne's World. Oh, shit. Foxy. Oh, shit. That's amazing. I looked him up the same way I looked up Freddie Mercury and Queen after I saw Wayne's World when I was, I don't know, 12 or something. And, uh, and And I'd heard his other songs, I think, before. But I didn't know who he was until mm-hmm. that moment. So that was really cool, kind of exploring kind of what he's created at that time. But I really am now getting more into, like, you know, all the songs he's did, the, the way he uh, would create music and play the guitar. Like, I, I remember, re- like, uh, when I found out that he played the guitar, he could play the guitar with his teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of just forgot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm reminded, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and I learned, uh, yeah, a lot. What about you? So how, how old were you when you saw that? I was 12. So you didn't see Wayne's World when it first came out? No, 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 no. So it was I, was probably, oh, wow. I was probably like six. Maybe? When did Wayne's World come out? I want to say 92. I was two. Maybe 94. I was four. Yeah, somewhere in that range, I believe. Which means it's probably 93, and it was in between those two. Yeah. Um, I definitely saw that when it came out, and I became... What's funny is... Hearing Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World didn't make me go out and look up Queen. I just was like, oh, that's the cool song from Wayne's World. Oh. Like, I just, like, took it for granted in that way. I knew about Jimi Hendrix when I was a kid because my mom was a big classic rock fan. Mm. And my brother then got into classic rock because he, he started playing guitar. Oh, gotcha. So he started playing guitar. And so all that classic rock, like Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix... Uh, the doors, uh, you know, all that stuff started to come into our lives, and he and my mom shared that. And my brother started playing guitar, and then, of course, as a younger brother, I was like, "Well, that means I want to play guitar too." And I bought. Oh man, you're I, cool. I bought a Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> what? I had. Damn, I had, you went all in. I can play the guitar a little bit. Like I'm. I didn't know that. On the piano and the guitar, I'm really good with like basic chord progressions. And if you give me some tablature or some chords, like I can find my way through basic songs. Like I'm not great. I feel like that's me with the piano. I know the basics, I'm but I couldn't piano, do like yeah. a, you know, I couldn't be in an orchestra. I'm better on the piano than the guitar. Oh. I enjoy the piano more than the guitar, but I can definitely play some basic chords and some chord progressions and some simple stuff. I can find my way around simple songs on a guitar enough to like if you if you brought up like I can play the wind cries Mary on the guitar. If we pulled one out, I don't have one here, so thank nice. God I'm not actually going to be tested on this one. Uh, Wayne's World came out in '92. Just checked. Nice. Yeah. So nice. I was, so I was right in the, right in the wheelhouse with it. And I was learning how to walk. So I bought a. It's called a sunburst style. The sunburst is when it's dark around the edges and then the wood in the middle. So it starts dark on the side and towards the center of the guitar, you see the wood, the wood of it. It's also a soda. Starburst. Star. Oh, Star Kissed, maybe I'm thinking. Star Kissed is the soda. Star Burst is a candy. Oh. But I had this beautiful Star Bur- uh, Starburst. <laughs> Starburst. Oh, God, I can't even say it now without thinking of the candy. I got this beautiful Fender Stratocaster uh-huh. with Seymour Duncan rail pickups. It was fucking awesome. I played it for a while. I traded it to my brother for a ride to the Italian Center because there was a girl there that I had a huge crush on and wanted to hang out with her. And Jen Herman. I was yeah. I was about to ask what her name was. Jen Herman. <laughs> no, what? We hung out. Wait, 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 wait. wait. We never dated. How? But I traded a, an amazing guitar yeah. for a ride, maybe ten minutes from our house. I mean, it's a great story, but you sound like an idiot. I'm afterwards. an idiot, <laughs> and he kept it for so long, but he finally gave it back. But it's still on the East Coast. I should get it out here soon. Wait, I just have so many questions here. So, how far was this place? Was it like you ten couldn't minutes. you couldn't convince him? I couldn't convince him that day. I just, li- and I and I liked the girl so much. 
I offered a guitar to go. I don't know if she even knows that story. If I had her phone number, I would call her right now. You should. To you should have told her that day. You shouldn't wait. <laughs> she would have gone out with you. Well, maybe she would have thought you were creepy. I don't know. We were really close. We were super, super good friends. How old were you when that happened? I was probably in the seventh grade. Okay. How old are people in the seventh grade? Uh, Too young for less, you, Ryan. Less than 14 <laughs> and more than 11, I think. <laughs> great, great math. That's my yeah. math. Um, yeah, I guess the lesson we learned here is uh, you should be thankful there's Lyft and Uber now. And you don't have to sacrifice a guitar for your for a ride to see someone. Never, never. Ten minutes away. Jen and I never dated. Jen and I never anything came from it. Like we're still decent friends today. I never talked to her. She's still on the East Coast. But well, because of that story, shout you out to her Jen Herman. You know her whole name because of that story. I think now she's on a world famous podcast. It, so, this. <laughs> so she was I, on WTF. I didn't know. <laughs> Crazy! What was she doing on there? She was on Thick Skin with Jeff Ross. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I knew about Jimmy then, and I, I loved Jimi Hendrix because he was this ubiquitous classic rock, rock and roll guitarist. Like, if you liked rock and roll, you liked Jimi Hendrix. And to this day, like, I believe his music still fully holds up. Like, there's no question in my mind. Like, you, like, I, in preparation for this, I've been listening to the catalog, and it occurs to me, I love "The Wind Cries Mary." Like, do you have a favorite Jimmy song? Is it Foxy Lady? Cause Probably, it's fo- yeah, it's biased, but yeah, I love Foxy Lady. It's you. a fun song, isn't it? Dun, 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 dun. Foxy. I don't and, even know the words, it's just that one part. The truth is, the 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 fact that it's in that Wayne's World scene yeah. makes it fun and silly, because Garth Algar is doing the whole... You can't not do the bunny ears, or, oh, or fox ears, I guess. Oh, God, it just... It's so funny. Foxy Lady. Foxy. Foxy. You know you are too little, heartbreaker. So the thing about the thing about uh yeah. So sometimes my research wasn't as good when I was a kid, so I didn't know that he was dead. When I looked at music, so I was like, I wonder if he's still doing music, yeah. and then I just never looked up if he was alive or not. But yeah, you know what? As soon when I learned of him, I knew he was passed because it's part of that story, and it. Yeah. The truth is, in a weird way, you know, in this roast, obviously everyone is passed. Everyone passed early, except for uh, Miles Davis is on the panel, and he lived yeah. jazz, and there's a great connection between them. Miles, I believe, was one of his pallbearers. Or Miles was, oh. or spoke at his funeral. I got to look that up again, but that's one of the reasons I knew we had picked him. Shitty of us to not know right now as we're going into the roast and we're doing a study guide why we picked Miles Davis. Uh, but Miles Davis and Jerry Garcia are the only two that actually lived to an older age. Everyone else died super young, cut off. I mean, he literally released only three studio albums. Yeah. That's part of the allure and part of rock and roll. I don't think, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't think. I wonder how he's perceived if that isn't the case. You know what I mean? What if he lived to 75? Because he was born... Jimi Hendrix born November 27th, 1942. Yeah. Today, if he were still alive, my, he'd, he's, be he'd be... He'd younger than 80. my grandma. He'd, yeah, he, but do the math. What's... 42, 60, you said? No, yeah, 1942. 60... 70... 78. Yeah. He'd be 78 years no, old. 79. 79. Yeah. Nope. Turning 77. 77. Historical math. Teaching roast a history. He'd be 14, right? Is that right? See, he'd still be... What if? What would we think of him if he were still alive today? Would his catalog have gotten stale? Yeah. Would, would he his, have changed it up like Taylor Swift did? Would, would he, he have adapt? Gone, like, what other stuff would he have done? I think his early work would have always stood. I think that the symbol he was for the 60s as well would have been super important because that's the other side of it. When you talk about moments like Woodstock in 69 Mm -hmm. and the Star-Spangled Banner, these are such seminal cultural moments. Mm -hmm. I don't think this would be an instance of worrying about his reputation tarnished. In the way that Lucille Ball, Did I Love Lucy, 
had a long life after that where mm. she didn't do anything in the same vein as I Love Lucy. But in retrospect, we don't... You know how it is. People say, like, you can hurt your legacy by sticking around and doing other work. It's like, no, if your legacy is great early, the rest of the work isn't going to tarnish it. It's just, it's just that Hey Joe, Purple Haze, and Wind Cries Mary all on the Jimi Hendrix experience on your first album out is always going to stand as like a holy shit mm -hmm. three of your greatest songs of all time are on your first album three years later not even you play Woodstock with the most known rendition even better known than Marvin Gaye's rendition of the Star Spangled Banner at the NBA All-Star Game years later yeah. like the seminal version that, that captured the spirit of the 60s in the moment of the 60s as the decade closes out and Kennedy is dead and Vietnam's going wrong. Like, none of that goes away if he's still alive today. In fact, I think it's we could have the chance to enhance it because he just would have continued to tell that story and build the legacy and, and continue it. And yeah, so who knows? Maybe he could have been part of the uh, the whole Kaepernick movement. Like, he's such a patriotic guy, but if he, he was part of, like, the movement with NFL that happened where they were kneeling, maybe it'd be like, oh, we can realize, like, this isn't, I don't know, the people on the other side would have maybe understood more if they had someone as patriotic as Jimi Hendrix being like, this is an important, you know, message we should get out there. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he could have been president. There's a lot of things that could have happened. Something tells me Jimi Hendrix would not have been president. How come? I think the drug use. <laughs> I think the drug use would have come to, to be an issue. Isn't that funny? Whenever I talk to someone who uh, tries to defend Trump, they're always like, but, they, but he doesn't drink. Like, yeah, he acts like he does, though. That's the difference. I think, I think it would have been badass to have a president come on and be like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, do, American do a, wait, do citizens. A Jimmy, do a Jimi Hendrix impression. It's just me, but tired. It's just. Let me hear your Jimi Hendrix impression. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Citizens of the United States, uh, let's riff. And he just starts playing you with his teeth. literally sound like you've never met a black person in your life. Well, I, I literally act like I don't want to do an impression of a black person in my life. That's going to get we got to yeah. put that out. Sorry, we're, we're creating a fire right now. I mean, if we're going to talk Jimi Hendrix, we're going to smoke a little weed. I hope my mom is not listening to this right now. Just I've kidding, just kidding, Miss Firth, it's meth. Conway. Firth, anyway, Conway. yeah, good. Let's give my mom's last name and her... Let's just give her street address. I didn't give her last name. I tried to cover it up. <coughs> Firth. So, Jimi Hendrix is born in, on November 27th, 1942, uh, right around when those death camps were ending in World War II. <laughs> Do you know what was happening with his dad? Tell me about his. Look, tell me about his father, because you said you had an interesting bit about his dad that I did not know. His dad was, uh, you know, called away at war as they did back then. Uh, they didn't volunteer back then. It was like they take you. So he was at war, and his wife was pregnant and going to give birth, and he asked for the leave that you usually get when you're, you know, uh, an army in the army. But instead, they're like, well, you're not white, so you're going to stay here, and we think you're going to try to escape, so we're going to put you in this concealed room. I, there's there's terms going, for these. Going. There's keep terms for these, and I don't remember said, them. As we Scout Derwood pointed out that all, all podcasts are based on anecdotal information. Then, then eat your heart out, I America. I quoted <laughs> a podcast who quoted a person who told a story. You, all right. You're fine right Well, now. I'm quoting Wikipedia, which was already pretty vague on the subject. Uh, so his dad missed it, and then what's it? What? his birth, missed his son's oh, gotcha. birth, and years later, he still couldn't come back to see his son. His son's now walking around and speaking. His mom cannot keep him. She cannot afford to keep him. So he's now technically kind of going to be adopted at this point, and his dad finally gets to go home. So he runs into his son for the first time, I think at a bar? Listen, this is, I'm just going to say it like it's a, like it's real. I'm just going to say, and if you want to correct me, please leave us a review and comment My on this podcast. My favorite part of this is is not only are we recording I'm on a laptop. I'm getting frustrated. We're recording on a laptop and both of our phones are within arm's distance. But I'm more interested in Ryan's version of this story where there's a baby walking around the house and then they meet at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is years. Okay, yeah. Baby walking that around. Did, the that I did make that sound like it was what was happening. There's a so there's a baby walking and talking, and then he meets his dad at a bar. 
You, so while I'm saying this, I'm realizing this would be, uh, they made, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and they made Rocket Man, and I kind of hope uh, one day soon they make something like that with Jimi Hendrix and they just have the music scattered through, more like Rocket Man, where they have like the music scattered throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I know you, you didn't see Rocket Man. I haven't Man. seen Rocket Man yet. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, but you know that Andre 3000 played Jimi Hendrix in a movie. Yeah, what was that? It was two, it came out not I, too long ago. Let like me tell you, it was one of those ones that I was really excited about when I heard, but it had such a small, quiet release. I never even knew it happened, and haven't gone back to watch it. I like. Yeah. I, I want to see that performance too. I think, I think there were high expectations for it, and it was just not what people thought it was going to be. So they kind of just were like, oh, it was. Like, they were aiming to make something that was going to be large-scale and mainstream, but I think it just was shy. So, like, I don't I don't know the story about it, to be honest. I just remember, like, I heard about it. Yeah. I was excited, and I don't remember hearing about it again until after it was out for a little while. And I was like, oh, I'll catch it sometime. I, I, saw, I saw the trailer for it when I was researching Jimi Hendrix, and I was like, fuck, that's right. I was going to see it. I probably even had, like, a ticket to go see it, and then I just didn't How go. was the trailer? It was. Is it worth watching now? I'll watch the trailer. Yeah, you can watch now. It's, I think it came out in 2013. Uh, so maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's interesting. <laughs> Eddie's, oh, wow. Five years. I don't I give don't... a fuck, Ryan. What was I doing that I missed this? I don't even know. So I have a I have the Wikipedia up. Uh, stationed. So his dad was stationed in Alabama, was denied the standard military. Uh, you know, furlough where the servicemen can go home and see the birth of their ch- children. And uh, so he was denied that. And then they thought he was going to go AWOL to go see his son in Seattle. So they just like, you know, they put him in the barracks. Hold on. They put him in the stockade. I was close. Uh, <laughs> to see his, his son. He, so he spent, he spent two months in lockup without a trial. That's fucked up, right? Yeah, oh, I mean... I mean, yeah. yeah, we can't do anything about it now, but no, yeah, that's I'm, like... I'm 100% agreeing. Like, like, that would be in the movie. I can't believe you're asking. Like, of course, yeah, that's fucked up. Yes, Ryan, it's fucked up to lock up Are a you black saying man it's for two up? months with no cause. I'm just now discovering racism, and it's not good. <laughs> you've, what you've, have we been doing about this, guys? I, you've, Nothing. You've heard of this thing. I'm just... Uh, I grew up in Tennessee. It took me a while. They yeah. showed us Remember the Titans when we graduated high school. They're like, this is going to be out it's there. It's a good transition. Is that's it? a good... Tra- uh, that's a great... Remember look. the Titans? Oh, my God. You know what's weird? It's been so long, I forgot about the Titans. <laughs> you forgot about the I Tennessee about Titans? The Titans. <laughs> Honestly, though, I love that movie, and I want to go back and watch that soon. But what is it saying about his father? Because did he meet his, his walking, talking toddler at a bar? So, he... <laughs> Listen. <laughs> in 1945, he's three months old. That's the first time he saw his son. No, he's three years old in 1945. He's born yes. in 1942, not three months old. Three, sorry, you know what That's I meant. Fair. I was reading the word months that was talking we're getting, about something. We're else. getting a little Jimmy Hen- We're We're a little experienced in here. We got, we're, we're, we're getting, smoking purple haze. We're getting experience right now. We're getting experienced. Sorry, Miss Conway. Uh, after <laughs> she loved that show, <laughs> you just made. Did up she for listen it. to this? She might. I don't know. I hope to God somebody she show listened, her this. You know which one she was. Shown walk up shout to out. his mom and show uh, her this episode. Shout out to to the Liars Club podcast with uh, Jessica Wellington, Felicia Michaels. They had me on the podcast, and it's the the Liars Club. It's, it's at the Comedy Store. You tell one true story and one false story. And there was three people. Sarah Weinshank was on it. Um, There's another comedian. We all told one real and one fake story. And then uh, they had to guess the hosts. Felicia and Jessica had to guess which one was a, 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 a lie and which one was the truth. And on that podcast, I said something. And I was literally like, oh, man, I hope my mom isn't listening to this. <laughs> I posted a link to the podcast. And then she comments on it. You really are a good liar. And I was like, wait, didn't I say I hoped you didn't listen? Uh, And she goes, yeah, you did say that. And I was like, damn it, she listened. So she might be listening now. Wow. I'm just just hoping my mom mom has better, has more things to do in her free time than listen to our roasts. Because she always warns me before, you know, whenever we're roasting like God or Mother Teresa, she's like, (laughs) listen, Ryan, I'm praying for you this time. Find God, <laughs> and then and then like I'll hear and then nothing. And then we'll roast, you know, Mother Teresa or God, but I won't hear shit from her. And I'm always like, did so she didn't? I assume she didn't watch. She lo- by the way, she loved Fred Willard as God in it in uh, 
and Frank's roast. So that's that was really her, her and the family, her and the church told me they uh, they really just loved Fred Willard. <laughs> okay, so. What, ha- what happened with his father? Did he find his toddler in a bar? I'm glad you're so enthusiastic about this, Eddie. Uh, <laughs> it so happens, yes. The first time he laid eyes on his kid, it's, first of all, first of all... Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> you sit down, Eddie. So You're so aggressive. <laughs> so they're from Seattle, the family from Seattle. He doesn't see his son in Seattle. Guess where he sees them? Berkeley. California, not the college. (laughs) Yes, in a bar, you idiot. (laughs) How old was Jimmy? Jimmy was three. It was he was three and in a bar. He didn't see his son until his son was three. And in a bar. And in a bar. His name's Al, by the way. The dad is named Al. (laughs) Al Hendricks. That's a good rock and roll name. Yeah, but after you know the name Jimmy Hendricks, you're like, ah, nothing's cooler than that. So when you hear like Alice. Hendrix, or sorry, what's her name? Alice? No. <laughs> Lucille. I don't know. They both sound very old names. Hey, I'm Jimmy. These are my parents, Al and Lucille. So then was he involved in his life, or just he wasn't after that? No, he's kind of... A, I mean, they were so poor, uh, his brother was in and out of foster care a lot. Mm. And, yeah, the dad, you know, didn't have any steady work, so they were, you know, kind of impoverished and didn't have any money. Uh, her, his parents were both alcoholics, so there was constant, you know, fighting and fight. I think violence. Let me make sure I read. I think I read that his dad did buy him his first five dollar acoustic guitar, though, right? Yeah, his dad did support his music career. It's kind of like Hitler, where like he did terrible things, but he loved dogs. It's like, sure, yes. Holy shit, that escalated fast. <laughs> His Jimmy, dad was Hitler. Jimmy Hendrix's <laughs> father went from buying him a $5 guitar and kind of not being a great dad to being... He was a violent dad. He was a violent drunk. He, he was genocidally violent. No, obviously not. <laughs> he was a veteran, yes. He was unfairly... Tre- he was treated unfairly by the people in the army... Especially, he couldn't, like, he was already... You basically called him the Hitler of dads. Yes. Different circumstances, obviously. I mean, Joe Jackson is closer than that. You just compared Joe Jackson (laughs) to Hitler. How dare you? Interesting, though, that two tough relationships with fathers led to two... Uh, you know, I don't think... I always look at Joe Jackson... You're comparing the Jewish community to Michael Jackson? No, Joe Jackson to Al Hendricks. The idea that... No, I know. Because I think about this, and I have have the bit in the act they do about it, but, like, Michael Jackson's father, like, disciplined him into doing that stuff that well. Right. Like, he beat his kid into being good. It's the most fucked up thing about that. And the comparison then, I don't know how tough Al Hendricks was or wasn't on him, but the tough relationship with the father can sometimes push... What am I saying? Father issues are prevalent in in artists. Oh, there. Revelation. I just... I cracked the code, folks. I'm the first time that's ever been said. Well, uh, this also goes on. And again, this is not a professor. This is Wikipedia. uh, The next best thing. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. (laughs) It says that he was deeply affected by his life experience. And so I I think you could argue that uh, in this case... A lot of his music comes from that experience, maybe. So I want to listen to, I want to watch and listen to this uh, Jimi Hendrix trailer. trailer. 2014, starring Andre 3000, or Andre Benjamin. Was he calling himself Andre Benjamin at that time? I don't want to play this person's ad. I don't want to play this person's ad. I always feel like a chump when I watch an ad before a trailer, where I'm watching an ad before an ad. Like, they really got me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is just an ad now. Rated R. That's a good Jimi Hendrix voice. He didn't pay that much. We were broke, you know, but we're cool. Oh, he's... I must be broke and cool. That's amazing. J-I-M-I. Yeah, yeah, like it that way. It's my pleasure to come up with an idea. 
Ladies and gentlemen, he just threw a knife at a suit on a wall. But not Jimmy. Jimmy didn't throw it. No, some some producer. Beautiful delivery on that. Yeah. How come we didn't know more about this? I wonder if you're going to notice that I'm not around anymore. This this came out around the time you and I were moving to California. Maybe that's that, why we missed that it. May have been it. We were too broke to find an, an indie theater. That's Andre 3000. That is not Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, it's pretty good though. It's a perfect. That's spot on. Andre Benjamin, Haley Atwell. It looks amazing. I'm watching this before. Let's the get him to play Jimmy on uh, on season you two. Want to come over Saturday night and watch this? You want to come over Saturday night and watch this? Uh, I got a burb show. I'll come to that. Okay, what's uh, uh, Sunday? Sunday or Monday? Sunday. Sunday night, I could probably do it. All right, there we go, folks. You guys can come over to Sunday night and watch. Jimmy, See you guys there. Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy, all by my side. I don't know. That looks awesome. So <laughs> Jimmy, anyway. it's me. To <laughs> Jimmy, it's me. So he was born. He actually wasn't born. Uh, he was born Johnny Allen Hendricks, and they changed his name when he was a kid, like when he was six years old. Yeah. It was to name him after a lost brother and his father. Right. That's why they made him James Marshall Jimi Hendrix. I don't. But he has his middle name was Al. Anyway. Marshall was, uh, I think, the the uncle or whatever that died, or whoever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know about his military experience? Uh, I bet you know more about that. I have more about the beginning of his music career, where he started playing guitar at fifteen. Yeah. Um, then he went. He went off to the army. What do you What do you have on that? He uh, he wrote a letter to his dad, who was also a veteran, and he was like, "I hate it here. It's like you know, they treat you like terribly here." And he was like just railing against it. And then the next letter he sent was like, "Can I have my guitar?" And so he. His dad like went and f- like found his guitar. I think uh, like one of his past girlfriends had it or something like that, and he he sent it to Jimmy so he could play. And that's where he met the bassist who performed with him at Woodstock. On the army base. At the army base, the ar- the guy. Let me look up his name real quick because you might recognize him. He's he's a. Was it Lee? We just read the we just read the entry on Bill on Cox. The- Bill Cox. He was a fellow serviceman, and in 1961. He walked past an army club that uh, Hendrix was playing his guitar at, and uh, yeah, he really he really liked it and compared it to a combination of Beethoven and John Lee Hooker. That's beautiful. Yeah, so they would jam while they were serving. That's pretty. That's pretty badass. And then they and then they performed at uh, Woodstock together. What a beautiful way to describe somebody's playing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, described, I've described I, your stand-up as uh, <laughs> something similar. I always said, you're like Jer- Jerry, Se- Jerry Seinfeld. He almost did Jeremy, that, right. Jeremy Seinfeld, his lesser-known brother, and, oh my God, uh, I and was, Beethoven. You're like, if Beethoven could do stand-up, I was, thinking, I was thinking about doing a character, Gary Seinfeld, his cousin. What's the deal with my, yeah, with my cousin? So I just try to steal his act, but do it worse as his cousin... I was on a plane and they gave you all these little peanuts. And I'm I, done knots now. Guess, yeah, <laughs> the conceit I guess is that I don't know. So you have so he's in, that's when he starts playing guitar like more seriously because he has his dad send it to him. He meets the bassist. Uh, then I have that he went. Uh, he began on the Chitlin circuit and he was in the Isley, uh, the Isley Brothers backing band for a while. So he played behind the Isley Brothers, uh, then Little Richard, and he stayed with Little Richard until mid-1965. So he was backing bands uh, from in when he got out of the Army, I suppose. 63, he got out of the Army. So for two years, till the mid-1965, he's on the road with Little Richard mostly. He's with the Isley Brothers, like these great acts. And he's living in Tennessee, right? Or is he just going there a lot? At one point, he, he settles down in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he said, then, there is where they made you play with your teeth. In Tennessee. In Tennessee? Yeah. He said, the idea, of, uh, the, the idea of doing that came to me in Tennessee. Down there, you have to play with your teeth or else you get shot. 
And uh, I think the rules have changed since uh, between that and when I was living there. What do they make you play with now? Uh, they make you play uh, football now. <laughs> they make okay. you either play an instrument, football, or be really good at smart things. And as you can tell from what I just said, I wasn't good at that. I could play drums, but I didn't want to do that forever. And of course, I am not sports inclined. So here I am in LA. So I don't have specific notes on something. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't have a specific point when he starts to experiment with the distortion and the feedback and all of that stuff he's known for. What I have next is that he moved to England in late 1966. That's where he was discovered by Linda Keith and he was managed by Chaz Chandler who was the bassist for the animals. Yeah. And when he gets there in 66, within a few months, he had three top 10 hits in the UK because he released the Jimi Hendrix Experience and that's where his three, what I think are probably his three most well-known songs, mm. Hey Joe, Purple Haze, and Wind Cries Mary mm. are released on that album and he's a fucking star, like immediately. Yeah. But I don't know, do you have this on when he started doing all of that distortion and the, like, because the thing that makes him him, like we're going to talk about this, about whether he's the greatest of all time. And what he did was he used this distortion and this feedback and this new sound of like vibration and reverb, like this like altering of just what a guitar could sound like. And I don't know when he starts to experiment with that. Obviously, it's before 1966 when he releases those because you can start to hear that stuff. You know, it's not it's not the Woodstock performance yet, but it's it's. I mean, I haven't even gone back and listened to that full album. Just those songs recently. Yeah. Uh, well, I can tell you this: it was in the '60s. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. And I think for you listeners out there, unless you're driving, you should go ahead and look that up. No, I don't know. Uh, I would say, I, I remember there, right before he left to, to go to London. He was performing uh, in different places where they just didn't like his sound. So maybe yeah. it was during that time. And then when he went to London, they were like, this, this sounds great. I like this. And then it became popular in the UK. And then, as is tradition, America was like, I'm going to also like this and do it. I'm going to find the date, but do you know when he broke big in the US? Do you know what, when, he, when he broke? Like, so in 1966, he releases Jimi Hendrix Experience, three top ten hits in the UK right off the bat, and what's his break into the US market? Do you know? Because I have it. Yeah, go for it. No, I want you to tell me. Do you know it all? I don't know it all. Okay. This is, it was the military experience, and then that's where it stops as far as what I know. Perfect, because I can pick up right there. <laughs> Great, I'm going to go take a nap. In 66, he releases that album. June 16th to June 18th, 1967, it's the Monterey pop festival at the Monterey County Fairgrounds in Monterey, California. Could I say Monterey more times and not pronounce the T? Can you say can you sing it like uh, that Simpsons episode of Monorail? I don't know what you say. Monterey. Do it. Monterey. Perfect. You nailed it. Thank you. So it's at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. Wow. That he comes over, he plays Hey Joe, and this is where he lights the guitar on fire. Oh. So his first time in the U.S. So he went viral. He, That's how he got famous. He, he just, it was like, he's burning a guitar. He's going nuts. He's great. He smashes that guitar. It's like. We're roasting the man who roasted a guitar. Yeah. We're, to we're gonna, be famous. We're going to let the guitar set him on fire. Wow. In 1968, he releases Electric Ladyland. It's his most commercially successful album. This is all in literally the first paragraph of the Wikipedia entry, by the way. <laughs> like, well, I, it's I written in deep. three words or less on your notepad for uh, each point. That's pretty impressive. He, it's his most commercially successful album to date. Wow. And it's his only number one in the U.S. Um, I'm going to pull up what songs were on that album because I don't have them off the top of my head. Yeah. Let's just make up numbers. Do you, you have know? a favorite? Do you have a favorite Jimi Hendrix song? Oh, you said Foxy Lady. We talked about that. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> I'm gonna get trackless. Anyway, did you ever see Across the Universe? There's no, a reference to Jimi Hendrix, and there's like a character who. Okay, here's here's. Plays a guitar. And the goods made love. Have you ever been cross town traffic? Voodoo Child. That one's on there. That's a beautiful piece. All along the Watchtower. Another amazing guitar piece. Little Miss Strange, Long Hot Summer Night, The Burning of the Midnight Lamp. It's good. That's, I mean, you know, 
Jesus. You know what I hope uh, for this show that's what? coming up? I hope that, much like his songs, that uh, people will listen to our roast of Jimi Hendrix and fuck to it. I think that's <laughs> the goal. I'm sure people are, are listening to this. And no, fucking. not that. Please don't. Please don't be fucking, fucking. to this. No. I was fucking to the show, Jimi Hendrix. Once we release that. Yes, exactly. Perfect. So August 15th to 18th, 1969 is... I mean, it's either Monterey Pop Festival or Woodstock 69 that is his most iconic performance. Woodstock 69 also sounds like a pedophile's username. <laughs> so originally, Jimmy is set to go on at midnight on Sunday night of the festival as the big headline act. Like Beyonce at Coachella. Like Beyonce at Coachella. So Beyonce Coachella, and he's set to go on in front of 400,000 people at midnight on Sunday night, but he does not want to play in front of that large a crowd. He just doesn't like that many people. He doesn't think it's going to be as good. So he's like, I'm going to wait. He waits until Monday morning at 8 a.m. when basically the festival's kind of over because that's it. Monday was the last day. That's when people are going to start to trickle out. So everyone, he's the highest paid performer there. He took a huge pay cut to do Woodstock, but he was still the highest paid performer. He was the headliner. He was what everyone was coming to see. And 400,000 people were there for him Saturday, Sunday night. And he's like, I want to do it in the morning. So he comes out at 8 a.m. Monday morning. The crowd has gone from 400,000 to about 30 to 40,000 people in the crowd at this point. So nice. a tenth of the crowd. He comes out. He's he hasn't slept for three days at this point. He's been up. They say when he gets done with this performance, he collapses in the back from exhaustion. Yeah, and he plays. He starts with one of. They said that the band only rehearsed for two weeks, and during those rehearsals, the musicians didn't feel like they gelled. They never played together before that. It, it was just those two weeks. It was not his normal band. In fact, when he came yeah. out, they introduced him as like Jimi Hendrix and the Experience, and he called themselves like a, a gypsy band. They were just a gypsy band that was coming together just for this one night, this one performance. And they didn't even, it was kind of his way of being like, we may not be in. But then they give this legendary performance, and it starts with the most famous, the, the most well known at this point version of the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. I think we played this before one of our roasts. We did. Was it Benjamin Franklin's? No. Or Thomas Jefferson? Maybe. I think I have it in the YouTube video. Was it election 2016? Because that would have been apropos. Look, this is one of those songs where you say to yourself, just light a joint. And watch or listen to him play this. Listen to him play this song. Yeah. And understand the context. They, everyone, coming out of that has always viewed it as a statement on the Vietnam War and the state of the country. That the distortion and the feedback and the way he makes the guitar wail and moan at very specific points in the song, and he just it goes. It sounds like bombs. It sounds like gunfire. Like people have projected so much onto it that whether he meant it or not. It hit a nerve in the global conscious of society at that point, or going forward. I don't know exactly when the conversation started, whether it was immediate or it's in retrospect. Yeah. But I listened to that song, and I can feel that sense of history of the Vietnam War and the disdain. And Kennedy had been shot, and they just tried to get to the moon, and Russia, and all of these things just weighing on you at once. Yeah. That heartbreak of the country that was that was what we believe the 60s to have been, the way we look at it now, mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel it so much in that song. Um, he says it, he said different things. You saw him on one of the talk shows, right? He talked about how it's it's like a... Because the guy brought up the host was Dick like... Dick Cavett. It was Dick Cavett, right? He yeah. He brought up like, you know, have you got a lot of hate mail or anything? 
uh, or he was saying like you you would get hate mail for this usually, and he's saying well Jimmy was just like well this is a very normal way of like how I hear the song like this is how the song this is just me doing my rendition my own version of the song it's nothing no disrespect and and the host was like oh yeah and you're a veteran haha <laughs> see folks so Billy Cox is the guy that I mentioned earlier who heard him when they were both servicemen they he was not only he didn't just go back and perform with him at Woodstock he also was in the band of gypsies uh, the Cry of Love Tour trio, uh, and he was in Buddy Miles, followed by the trio with drummer Buddy Miles. No, he was with Buddy Miles. Now this makes sense. <laughs> Look, the, the one he of, stayed with him, and that's great because I feel like uh, that's a good friendship. Jimi Hendrix released that's three nice. stu three studio albums. His yeah. career lasted four years before he tragically passed away. The shortness of it makes they, there are a lot of live recordings. One of my favorites is uh, Johnny Be Good. Have you ever heard him do Johnny Be Good? Not his version, no. Oh, I, I'll pull it up right away. It's it's one of my favorite because I also love that song because it's in Back to the Future. Yep. And so this Wait. is oh really? Johnny Be Good because I love not this version. No, no, no. Oh, I thought you were saying like this. <laughs> not this version, but Jimmy plays a version at Berkeley. Where is it? Berkeley, where he's met his dad. Live, Berkeley Community Center in Berkeley, California. So he's gonna do this version of Johnny Be Good that just I didn't even know existed until like five, seven years ago. Wow. This might sound familiar. Who knows? You can definitely hear him in it. Well, I'm sure he's singing. Just uh, his his live performances are incredibly coveted because there's just there's not enough of him. You want more, and his live performances were clearly so different. He did. Did he end uh, after his guitar solo? Did he end by saying, "I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, yeah. but your kids are gonna love it." I, he did. Let's he did. let's rewrite that he did. Yes, we're rewriting history now. Um, so he he does this incredible performance of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. Um, I was gonna pull it up. Do we want to listen to him on the Dick Cavett show talk about it? Yeah, that'd be great. Pretty short too. I love rock stars in the 60s because they just, there's no like real, there's some antidote, but mostly it's just them answering the questions. It's like a legit interview for like a job. Yeah. You consider yourself a disciplined guy? Do you get no, this is not it. No, there's That's like a weird trailer for it. So it's really you at last. How are you? I'm pretty tired. I've been recording so much, you know. You're tired now? Yeah, I haven't had a sleep in about all night. I've been working on the last LP. How much sleep do you need to be alert? Uh, we're not going to find it, but you can find it. There's, there's, it says it. He does. He just talks about... He kind of tried to play it off like it wasn't a political statement. It re yeah, he just played it off like this should be normal for you guys. Like, this should be... Like, don't freak out about this. Probably he was high, what? right? He was also high at Woodstock, right? At least he smoked yeah. weed there or something. I don't know. But So then, unfortunately, September 18th, 1970, he dies. He overdoses on barbiturates. Mm -hmm. That was a very technical term. I don't really know what he died from. From being 27 and being so in the club. 
So let's talk. You you have a, uh, an interesting. I don't want to say obsession. I don't know if it's that, but you have a very inter- a very big interest in the Twenty Seven Club. Well, listen. Before you <laughs> met me, before, when we met, right when we met, I was young, and I was like, you know what? I'm probably gonna. I have a reckless life. I'm probably gonna die young. And so for the rest of like those three years, I was like, I'm probably gonna die at Twenty Seven. And then I turned Twenty Eight, and I'm like, well, another club I didn't get into. And now we're here at Twenty Nine, feeling fine. Eddie, <laughs> what did you do at 25 that was reckless that you felt was going to lead to death? 24. Uh, I was. Was your mom listening? I don't want to <laughs> disappoint her. I don't know. I was just being, you know, crazy. No, I don't know. You don't have to say it on the study guide for Jimi Hendrix, but. I already gonna... said it. I've already said it. Crack cocaine. <laughs> and huffing glue. Huffing glue. And those crazy orgies in Disneyland. You're doing puppers. 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 I found this new thing called puppers. Puppers. You he do introduced a, you do a very me to puppers. It's just Miss Doubtfire plus Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh my God! If Brian or if Billy Cox walks by, Jimmy Hendrix, like, hey, I just need you to know your music is a combination of Mary Poppins and Miss Doubtfire. <laughs> and he'd be like, "Who's Miss Doubtfire?" And he'll, get, and he'll go, "Your kids will love it." This has been the podcast with Eddie. <laughs> we ended like that. I'd uh, like to. The last thing I'd want to ask you or, or try to contextualize is the idea that Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitarist of all time. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's, that is at least open to discussion in the idea of do sometimes we romanticize the past, kind of like we talked about Citizen Kane is always recognized as the greatest movie. Right. Of all time. But at no point do we stop to be like, well, why? Or is it going to be something <laughs> but else? Like, is it? Like, The Dark Knight is great, or maybe Jaws is fantastic, or Titanic is a really good movie. I'll defend Titanic the movie till I die. What would you say the population has decided on the best song? Like, Citizen Kane's best movie, best song. The best song of all time? Best song of all time. (sighs) That's so subjective. What's the best song? I feel like it'd be Beethoven's Ninth. I feel like it'd be something fucking old. Wait, what's the question? The great, what people best think song. the greatest? Just, what's yeah. The, uh, what is Whenever the someone says, you know, and the best... Like, I, there's that joke in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where he's like, I'll, I'll take you... Uh, I want to take you to a movie. Yeah, sure, where are we going? Oh, we're going to go see Citizen Kane. No, I hate Citizen Kane. Find a better movie. He's like, all right, <laughs> I'll find a better movie than Citizen Kane. Okay. I'll tell you what I think is what I think is the greatest song of all time, but I don't think this is like a popular choice for greatest song of all time. Yeah. Like this isn't the Michael Jordan of songs. This isn't the Jimi Hendrix of songs, right? I think Billy Joel's Piano Man is the greatest song of all time because it has a musicality to it, but a pop feel. Yeah. And it tells a story that is quintessential throughout time and in translation in almost any language or verse. Like the idea of like going in some place where the, the bartender believes they could be a music a movie star if they could get out of this place that is a an epic tale that is old as time every narrative every epic like odysseus left home to go be great and then come back yeah everyone either stays on the plantation or goes out and does it and it's in that song it's this small town feel it's like People can't get out of this place, but this is their place. It's it's the entirety of Cheers, the sitcom. But then you got Small song. Town Girl. You got that song. So that's like a second oh. up. If you follow Bohemian that story. Rhapsody is a pretty fucking great song. Right. You could also say all these things I've done by the killers. <laughs> you could say a lot of things. I think what I, like, I did, I made it too big. It, it'd be like if you said Citizen Kane after I asked you, uh, what's the best thing you've ever seen? Period. <laughs> Animals. Porn, everything. Like, that's all on the list. So I should say, what's your favorite, what's the best rock song? Like, what is the best rock song? I think you'd say Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, so that, that's easier. So that's kind of, I guess, what I was asking. Yeah. Uh, with a more narrow and less broad So is Jimi Hendrix the greatest guitarist of all time, and why? Because you can't name one other better guitarist off the top of your head. If you were to name a famous guitarist that, like, could put people to shame on guitar. Is it also is is it also what he meant to people and his persona? Like, does it all factor in? Are we just talking playing on the guitar? Because people have made cases for other people, like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Don't like know who that guitarists, is. like Slash. Maybe Slash isn't better than Jimmy, but like, is that a knee jerk reaction? Is that like? 
we just don't question that there's that there might be somebody better or is he just better than everybody else i think not only is he probably better than everyone else but also he came first out of like the big guitar players you can think of besides like maybe i don't know elvis but then you think about his him as chuck, like chuck berry chuck berry there's yeah there's so there's a long list of guitarists you can name but if you're just thinking like Who's the best, like, I don't know. I don't know if you'd even name him off the top of your head because I feel like you just start listing. It's very different than, like, Citizen Kane. Because if I was like, Eddie, what's your favorite, what's the best guitarist of all time? You'd struggle just like you did with Song. And then you'd just land on one of four or five, like, big guitarists. But if you really come down to it, if you watch, like, videos back-to-back of these, of, like, Elvis and Chuck Berry and Jimi Hendrix, I think when as soon as he touches his teeth to his guitar... The competition's the, over. The, the that's fucking everything. crazy, dude. I'm from Tennessee. Maybe Here's that's the it. other thing. You know what I think does help? Not just the aura and legend, but actually... Like, his physicality is very unique as well. Like, if you look at great artists... Yeah. So, one of my basketball coaches yeah. had this theory. He was like, for a basketball player to be great, they need to have something physically about them that is different. Right. That is exceptional. Yeah. Long arms. Tall. Really quick. Super good heart rate. He talked about this one basketball player who had such a low resting heart rate that high exertion never really bothered him. Like, uh, so he had just stamina like crazy. Yeah. Like the, so in that vein, Michael Jackson physically unique. Mm-hmm. Um, in Jimi Hendrix's case, he's tall. He's got a large thing, but he's got that lean frame. But the arms are so long, the hands are so big, he can cover so much space so quickly. Yeah. I think is one of those things that helps. Like it's what if you say why is he like what makes him that way? It's the same way as saying like LeBron James is clearly physically exceptional to everyone around him. The skill set he's gonna have is gonna be changed slightly in that vein. You could say you know, you could say like I hate, that, Jimmy- I, I, I hate that I compared Jimmy to LeBron James. I think what you, I think what you could ask is like, was Jimmy made for the guitar, or was the guitar made for Jimmy? Oh Jesus Christ! Next time on the podcast, no. Uh, one more thing, left-handed. We didn't even mention this. Left-handed guitarist. They yeah. one of those. Or as uh, one article uh, said, upside-down guitarist, <laughs> like a vampire. What are you talking about? Random article. God. And they listed it as a fact Hate that he, the internet. he played the guitar upside down. Not that he was, but because he was left-handed. Not it's the other way around. Yeah, it's like There's if someone no way. someone said like you're in London, you're driving on the upside down of the street. I don't know. One more thing about the teeth in Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has the least amount. <laughs> One more thing about Tennessee and teeth. And teeth and Jimmy, obviously. Uh, they. It's brave of him. For <laughs> it's brave of him to have done like l- picked that up in Tennessee because Tennessee, I know for a fact, has the of every state has the least amount of dentists. So next time on the podcast, the mockingbird is our state bird. Jesus Christ! I can't believe that's what we're gonna go out. We got on. kicked out of Tennessee, so like here. literally, you took that. Tangent when you knew we were wrapping up. Like, there's, he's dead. I would have stayed in Tennessee if I could play the guitar with my teeth or the drums with my teeth, to be honest. That would have been pretty badass. Long teeth, though. We're winding down here, folks. You are, you are <laughs> digging us a hole we can't get out. You know, I'll edit all of this out. <laughs> it's dang. The last 10 minutes have been edited out. I don't actually listen to the podcast when we post it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ryan doesn't pull any of this out and just says he's going to. Yeah, it's actually true. <laughs> I look at it and I'm go, yep, I object with nothing. Here, Sammy. <laughs> so the, the legacy of Jimi Hendrix is that he is the greatest guitar player of all time because that's just how you say it. Because there is, I think the whole thing counts. I think it's everything. Because I don't think you can negate the idea that he brought so much more to the table than just playing the guitar. He yeah. developed this unique sound where he used feedback and distortion as as melody and as music music like he made it he made it melodic and he part of the music not just a a diversion that whole star spangled banner all of that stuff is it's not in the way of it. it's the sound he wants it's controlled it's he controlled that stuff and yeah. nobody had that kind of control over it before and he is fucking cool and he's physically really gifted and just saw things a different way like mm-hmm. You just say it, though. Like, you're right. You just say he's the best because you say he's the best because he's the best. Like, what else would you say? Right now, New York is the center of the universe. But before, Egypt was the center of the universe. Like, Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitar player of all time until the next time I say it's somebody else. 
is exactly like you could you know he's the best guitar because yeah it took us as long as you were for like trying to figure out as you know the best song ever it's just yeah. there's he is not just like there's other options sure but you can't really argue against like you can't think of another name that you're like oh of course why do we think Jimi Hendrix it's this guy yeah so so come see us roast Jimi Hendrix at the comedy store. Tuesday night, July 23rd, 2019, at 10.30 p.m. in the Belly Room. We've Smoked got some purple haze before. Sorry, go ahead. An incredible lineup. Uh, you're going to see special guests like John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Miles Davis, Amy Winehouse, um, Jerry Garcia, Jim Morrison, Jeremiah Watkins is there. Matt McCarthy's there, as you mentioned earlier. Maggie May. Yeah, Nicole Buchanan, Pat Reagan, Josh Reagan Waldron, Josh Waldron, Garrick Bernard's back. Jessica Michelle Singleton is going to be there. It's going to be such a great show, so come check it out. We're also going to be a Dynasty typewriter. That's right. August uh, August sixth at eight p.m. We will be a Dynasty typewriter to roast Pixar for fictional roast. We are back. Who's gonna? What, what characters are going to be on the? You're going to see Woody and Buzz. You're going to see Mike and Sully. You're going to see... Uh, who else can I say? Can I say Miguel? You're going to say Miguel from Coco. I'm going to say Miguel from Coco. Dory will be there. Mr. Incredible will Russell, be there. Russell from Up. It's going to be an awesome show. So Dynasty Typewriter, August 6th, Tuesday night. Don't miss out. 8 p.m. This is Ryan Pig. And that is Eddie Firth. Go watch Historical Roasts with Jeff Ross on Netflix. Um, this has been Historical Roast teaching you how to play the guitar with your teeth. A lesson. <laughs>